You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsor, Google. Google is proud to sponsor Revision Path in championing excellence and diversity in the creative community. They believe that design is critical to building great products and experiences, and they're committed to fostering best-in-class results with efforts like material design, a unified system combining theory, resources, and tools to help you craft beautiful digital experiences, and Google Design. From producing original articles and videos to hosting creative and educational partnerships, their goal is to connect, support, and inspire designers and technologists. To learn more, please visit them at design.google. Now for this week's interview. We're talking with Nicole Davis, digital product owner and senior vice president of digital and risk management at Marsh in New York City. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Nicole Davis. I reside in New York City, and I am a digital product owner at Marsh & McLennan within their digital group that they actually recently formed this time last year. So small group, they want to be more of a startup within a corporation. Nice. So it's it's kind of a a new role for you. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, it is brand new. I've been here um, for three months. Wow. Yesterday. Yeah. So what does a digital product owner do? I really walk the line between um, technology and biz- business strategy. So I actually got hired because they were going to be launching this um, insurance product where they needed someone who has previous web design experience as well as mobile app design experience. So they needed someone who understands, you know, just graphic design because I work with um, an agency in the UK and they're the one putting together the experience design, but also our internal technology partners who are in our Phoenix office and making sure that we're hammering out the requirements for that insurance product. So making sure that, you know, we have existing systems that are in place that will enable this um, agency to, you know, bring that vision to fruition. So, yeah. Nice. Uh, What drew you to working for Marsh? Oh, (laughs) many reasons, actually. I had been at Accenture for almost five years, Um, And I actually had been looking for a change. I really liked working there, but being a road warrior was was exhausting. (laughs) And I was sick of being in a hotel Monday through Thursday. Um, And so when they came to me, they said, hey, this is a role that is minimal travel. So I travel less than 10% of the time. Um, And that was one of the reasons why I took the job was travel, other incentives that were offered. Um, And also, I mean, it was a, a... The title, I knew that I would have a lot more responsibility in my role, um, and I would have a team that I would be um, working with and managing. Okay. And for those who are listening who might not be familiar, can you just kind of tell a little bit about what kind of company Marsh is? You think you mentioned insurance a little bit earlier, something like that? Yeah. it's um, So it's a company that they have um, a couple of subsidiaries, one Oliver Wyman. They actually have a digital group, um, very expansive digital group. And then... 
they have other subsidiaries that, you know, work with corporations that put together benefits packages. Um, they also work with uh, companies um, to insure their employees. So if you're in your own company and you want Mercer, um, if you, you know, that t- benefits type of year, what, October, November, and you're signing up for your benefits, that's most likely underwritten by Marsh, um, or even just that insurance product that you're seeing is underwritten by Marsh. And though Aetna might be your insurance carrier, Marsh is his insurance Aetna to then um, provide that product through your company. So you always see on the fine, fine print. It's funny, I I hadn't known this before. I was signing up for my benefits. I was changing my benefits when I was Accenture. And I'm like, because I really didn't understand like what Marsh did exactly, because I knew they were insurance, but it was more of like they insure other corporations. Um, And I saw in the fine, fine print at the bottom of Accenture's website, it said, underwritten by Marsha McLennan. I'm like, oh, whoa, this company touches everything. So there's the personal insurance, but there's also just kind of property and casualty, casualty insurance. And also just quite, again, quite frank, simply they insure other corporations. I got you. Yeah. Like the insurance company's insurance or something like that. <laughs> I got you. All right. So. Oh, many. Um, so coming from agency and consultancy, I have worked with insurance companies in the capacity of they're redesigning their website. Um, So I never had to be an expert or a subject matter expert for insurance products as a whole. Like I, I had a generalist knowledge of them, um, or should say minimalist knowledge of insurance. And so being you know, launching in a, a brand new insurance product in an insurance company, I found myself actually educating myself on the different types of insurance, and I'm still educating myself. And so it's, you know, I've always just kind of come from the perspective of, oh, I'm on a, uh, I'm on a hospitality client. Um, and, you know, they want to redesign their website to sell more hotel bookings, or even I'm on a car, you know, on a, a car company project, and they just want to redesign their website because they want to, you know, have attract customers, have customers be able to come to their website to buy more cars, and things like that. And so I, I never had to be an expert within the automobile industry or hospitality industry. And in launching a product, I need to understand a product, um, insurance product, insurance as a whole. And so that's actually been the number one challenge. And I think just in general, starting a new company, learning new faces and names um, and what their role is and how they impact the group that you're working in, that also has been a challenge. But that one I don't think can be overcome. I think nothing can be overcome, but um, the insurance part, learning about insurance has been like a, it's been a learning curve. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, coming onto a new company, onboarding is always such a, it's always such a risky process because of course you want the person to spend enough time to get up to speed with just the processes of the company, but also you hire them to do a job. So you want them to kind of hit the ground running and get to work. I know I've been at places where I've had a long onboarding period. So I've had like maybe three months to really slowly get into the business and learn things until you get to a point where you're more comfortable. And then I've also been at places where you were expected to perform on the first day. Yes. So I can only imagine like that, that level of velocity makes it, can make it difficult to really 
feel like you're, you're, I don't know, like you're in the position in a way. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I, <laughs> I remember before taking the job, I'm like, oh, is this really the right fit? Is this really the right direction that I want to take? A part of me knew wholeheartedly that I wanted this position. It was the right fit for me. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, you know, just the challenge of, okay, I need to ramp up and, you know, understand, know my team members, have them, you know, you want people to like you. So there's that aspect of like, okay, trying to find that common interest. The time also is being spent doing that. But then also it was the second day being hired that they're like, okay, this is what you're going to be doing. This is the new, this is a new product. Once this individual comes back from vacation, you need to sit down with them and understand what they've been doing for the past three weeks because they're handing everything over to you. And you then need to, the following week, jump on a plane to Iowa and meet um, your business partners. So, yeah, it's, yeah, (laughs) it's been challenging. So before Marsh, you mentioned working at Accenture uh, for nearly five years. What was your time like there? Um, it's different. I mean, I think being in a management consultancy space, it like it comes with its own set of challenges. I will say that when I started there, I was a part of a group that had been acquired by Accenture. So Accenture decided that they wanted to um, form, they'd always had a digital group, but it was more focused on um, data and analytics. And they made a push about five and a half, six years ago. So about six months, a year before I started there to start acquiring um, digital creative agencies. And so one of the creative agencies that they acquired was one actually that I had hired um, years ago. And so I actually knew people who worked there and I kind of, I started in that office, that new acquisitions office. And so for me, it was like, I'm, I'm used to working around creative and creative technologists. But then once we merged, (laughs) um, offices and started what I like to say, working with Accenture proper, it was a little bit different, um, because Accenture has their own culture, but then, this agency that I worked with, their culture was no different from the agency that I had worked with before. And heck, I knew some of the people, right? And so, you know, you're just working with among creatives and pie in the sky thinking and, you know, doing storyboarding and vision boards and brainstorming sessions are, you know, different. And then when you're, when you now merge Accenture, um, they approach things quite frankly, differently because it's more about business process management and and process improvement. Uh, Not that I I hadn't had that experience because I I do, but I I didn't realize that for some of the folks that I worked with, it was harder for them to um, navigate. Um, But there was a challenge because you're talking about just merging, quite frankly, companies. But it was fun that I was, quite frankly, I had exposure to you know, different clients. And I think too, when you're in that agency setting where you're fighting for clients, <laughs> that's that's different because you might lose a client where Accenture has long established clients and all you're doing now is saying, hey, Accenture now has this creative group. This is what we can do. So there isn't, oh, 
you know, um, you're, they're not going to lose their client because they, they already implemented a, an accounting system with them. And now we're telling them, hey, we can redesign your website and we can also launch a mobile app. And if you need a digital display or interface, we can help you with that, too, and teach you about design thinking. And, you know, so it it was fun because there was that aspect of teaching people within Accenture proper, like, as I like to say, about design, but also about like how we approach technology too. Because I think the way they approach technology is completely different. We, for us in the agency side or interactive side, you know, our strategy engagements were eight weeks long. That was just new to them because we would have a working prototype you know, eight, 10 weeks long, max, we'd have a working prototype by the end of it, we'd have user stories, everything. And for them, their strategy is like six months a year. Like, That's a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And for them, what they would deliver is like a long PowerPoint. (laughs) So yeah, it was different, but it was cool. We've had some people that have been on the show that worked uh, at Fjord. I don't know if that's... Yeah, that was, so I was uh, part of um, Acuity acquisition uh-huh. and what ha- when we merged offices, it was Acuity and Fjord. We initially moved into that New York studio um, together. So that's how I go. Oh. I, I was just always on, um, like I, I sat on the 10th floor and Fjord was on the 8th floor, but I was always on the 8th floor because much of the people that I had originally worked with, they were part of Acuity. They just then, they were like, they just slotted us differently, mm-hmm. but I worked fjord throughout my tenure at accenture yeah i've always been curious about working at like an internal sort of design agency like that because like you said they've got these long-standing clients so when you come in it's a totally different ball game than if you were working at an agency or at a studio or even doing work on your own like the scope and the scale is just completely different oh yeah <laughs> yes um I mean, and the group that, so I was a part when I was at Accenture, originally, um, I started in the digital enterprise architecture Mm -hmm. group, um, which is part of Acuity. And so our goal was really working with, so I'd have a couple of experience, an experience or creative uh, director, creative experience manager or experience director, and also um, creative director, a... And I would be represent creative technology or digital enterprise architecture. And so it would be three or four of us because we'd operate in pods. And so, of course, you'd have, again, a few people from Fjord, um, one or two people from um, Acuity, and we'd be on site at a client and we would just, you know, put together a strategy and then again have like a, you know, potentially a working prototype and just have something that they can actually react to. Again, with Accenture, they didn't do that. They It was all new to them. But yeah, it, for them, they were able to see our value immediately because they just, again, they just, you know, it was... They was completely. It was just always funny how they're like, "Oh my God, you guys are you guys are just amazing." The client loves you. I'm like, oh okay, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of your highlights from working there? Um, I like traveling to uh, cities, <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, I think traveling with like teams that um, meeting new people, um, meeting new awesome people. Um, meeting new 
uh, people who can I swear? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sir. Uh, meeting assholes was not fun, <laughs> but um, <laughs> like really cool, creative people um, internationally. I think that was awesome. Traveling. I remember I went to. We we're putting. It was a project that was like six weeks long. Again, small pod, and they were shocked. It was a medical company, pharmaceutical company, and they were shocked at what we delivered. And we had to do a three-day. It was supposed to be a five-day workshop that ended up turning into a two-day workshop. And was going to London like literally the day before we we're doing this workshop and working our butts off doing that two day workshop yeah. client loved it and end up staying an extra day and just having drinks meeting again different people and working with the client selling again they long already long existing relationship with Accenture they're not going anywhere they have a billion dollar relationship with this client but we were able to you know um sell additional work and also again like sell additional work that actually spanned years um because that that project was about three years ago um so that was fun working with teams that again just global teams because you get you know you understand how these teams were kind of set up and why they work the way that they do um their expectations it's like I remember I think I, I learned quite a bit about just quite frankly emotional intelligence you know how you need to I don't want to say adjust, yeah, adjust yourself in speaking. You know, I, I would, the expectation that someone has from a communication standpoint is completely different when you're talking to someone who's French or who's Australian, who's, you know, in South America. And I still think knowing your EQ, that, you know, um, is important. I think that's what I learned as well. Yeah, um, just other benefits. We have fewer would always have in-office parties and we would make sure that we did um, like fun outings as well. Like, you know, picnic in the park, you know, leaving the office one o'clock, two o'clock and doing picnic in the park and having drinks and having chefs come in on site, having a DJ um, come in the office. So things like that, I think, were um, a lot of fun. And yeah. Nice. When you look, I guess, I mean, first back at your work with Accenture, but also with the work that you're doing at Marsh, it sounds like at sometimes there might be this overlap maybe of like product and risk management. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you manage that when it happens? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so I think the there's the product that you're launching, but also knowing um I think it's it's the cost and also being that it's insurance, there's a regulatory um, component that you have to be very much aware of. Um, and so I think that like that's it. Like when you think about risk, there's technology risk, there's you know there's product risk, there's um, monetary risk, moral revenue. But you know, being that it's insurance, it's regular. You want to make sure that, quite frankly, what we're doing is not going to fine the company as a whole and uh, tarnish their brand. So. I mean, it's, it's honestly, it's a fine line. I mean, anything that we're doing, I'm working so closely with legal and compliance, um, more than I had 
when I was at Accenture and Sapien and other places, honestly, it made me um, put on like my first one of my first jobs was working at HSBC. And so it honestly just made me think of that. I remember changing even a sentence on the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to wa- thank God when I was at um, HSBC, our legal department was uh, like six floors below. So I would be like, hey, I'm, and I had close relationships with legal and I would go over and say, Hey, we're going to change this sentence. What do you think? And we'd sit for like an hour talking about why. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's honestly the same thing, but now launching a product and knowing the technology implications and also, you know, you have the policy um, management corp that we're working with and also the claims vendor that we're working with, you know, some of the changes that we're, you know, trying to make, there's different state regulations that you have to take into account. Um, and you have to think about how that impacts the customer experience on the website. And also just kind of being like, okay, if, if we can't make this change, um, in Massachusetts, but we can in Michigan, we might have to think about how just coding. So that's why, that's why I think it's important to like, for me, I need to understand what our technology team can do, you know, how they're coding even what a feature that looks so simple and generic, you might see a disclosure on a site, but that disclosure, if you're in a different state, you're seeing a completely different um, disclosure. And guess what? That disclosure needs to be approved by legal and compliance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it kind of reminds me, as you mentioned that, it reminds me about how a lot of websites about a year or so ago were scrambling with GDPR and what that meant in terms of compliance and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I it's always so funny how like people um I I always explain what I do to different people and um and they just think, oh web design, oh you could just you can help me, blah blah. And I'm like, this what I'm doing. Uh <laughs> sorry, that, that that was I've gotten that one I don't know how many times, but yeah. yeah I'm like, <laughs> oh, you have no idea. You're just seeing this end product and this this uh, 10 page site um, with an application and they think it took nothing. I'm like, oh, this was about a year of work or six months of work and a lot of conversations, a lot of meeting, exhaustive meetings. So yeah, like this morning I had, I had about three different meetings regarding fees for different states and how it needs to be displayed for um, customers who are not logged in versus logged in and also legal and compliance saying, okay, oh, that approval that we got, we can't advertise this product in state A, I'll stay. And um, they're like, oh, you know what? I know we we need to now change the zip code validation. So if you type in this zip code, they they should get you know be prompted an error message. So it's, it's stuff like that. So I need to update the user story and <laughs> things like that. Oh, yeah. So we've talked a lot about your career, kind of where you're at right now, where you have kind of come from. But I'm curious to kind of, you know, go back. We always like to do that with guests, like learn more about who they were and how they got to this point. But uh, where did you grow up? I grew up. So I was born in um, Jamaica. Oh. Um, yes. Uh, I think that always frames the conversation because <laughs> people then go, wait, you grew up in um, upstate New York? And they're like, oh, that's not even upstate. That's that's Western New York. That's uh, that's Canada. Um, so 
I grew up in, um, in Lockport, New York. Um, okay. It's about 30 minutes from Buffalo. Oh, not Jamaica, the country. Yeah, yeah I was born. Yes, I was oh, born. Oh, you're talking about. Okay, okay. I'm yeah, sorry. I was I'm born a, in ooh. Jamaica, the country. Um, gotcha. But Thanks. I grew up. <laughs> um, I came here when I was um, six years old. Um, but I grew up in um, Western New York. Okay. Was design and tech kind of a big part of your childhood? Yeah, it was. It's, it's, and you know what? That's a good question because um, people then ask, "How did you get into technology, and why do you, why do you not use Apple products?" So, um, coming from Jamaica, of course, I had a strong accent as a kid, and I was supposed to be in second grade, but they put me back in first. And I remember I was in, I had been in speech classes. I was in speech classes from first grade to seventh grade. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom, I forced my mom to like get me out of it. But um, one of the uh, components of you know taking speech class was I was always on an Apple, that old Macintosh, doing different exercises. And I just remember I was, I was just myself and probably one other student. We were using a computer. The only kids using a computer were um, kids who were in speech classes or probably, I'm sure, other areas. But I just remember when computers, like more people were learning and being aware of computers, it was completely new to so many people. Like, I've been using computers since like 1989, (laughs) 1988. What's the big deal? But yeah, I think that was really my first starts because I just remember always walking into the room and, you know, a simple little crazy simple basic interface and even yeah yeah so like yeah that's how I started um and and that that's where my interest kind of grew from there because then in high school I remember I had an internship at a chemical company in their IT department and even just kind of training their employees on how to use just the computer in general, um, because they didn't know, um, and using old applications to just for them even to type up a paper or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When did you, I guess, sort of first know that like these skills that you were learning, that this was something that you could do for a living? Honestly, it really wasn't until I think it was um, end of high, probably senior year of high school. I remember um, that internship that I had. It was through Cornell, and I had I think having that on my my CV, you'd say, helped me into get into different colleges and. And the conversations that I was having with um, recruiters were different because they're like, oh, you had an internship with Corna. I, I don't remember the name of it, and but they were so impressed by it. And I think that then framed how I viewed myself mm. and what I would be doing in college. Because initially, um, I, I, I don't know, I really had this passion for economics, which I ended up going back to uh, midway through college. But I initially was majoring in uh, computer science. Um, I started college in 1999. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting, as you mentioned all that, I'm like, these are, I'm, I'm picking up some parallels just to myself. Cause like one, I also went through years of speech therapy. <laughs> um, two also grew up using those like Brown Apple two E Macintosh computers Mm-hmm. And I also started out at computer science and ended up changing it because my mom really wanted me to 
uh, she really wanted me to be like Dwayne Wayne from a different world. <laughs> and so she's like, you're going to be a computer engineer and this is what you're going to do. And I started out um, at Morehouse because they have this dual degree computer science, computer engineering program where you go to school for five years and then you come out with a bachelor's and a master's. And it's like, oh, OK, well, that sounds pretty good. I hated it. What? Absolutely hated it. Like. <laughs> My professor wasn't that good. I I was getting the material, but I just didn't like it. Yeah. yeah. And also, like, this was around the time that the web was starting to kind of take off. I mean, the web was around in some capacity back then. Mm -hmm. I also went to college in 99. Um, The web was around in that capacity, but, like, it's certainly not what it is now 20 years later. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But I wanted to do web design like that. Like, I was experimenting with iframes and doing things and mm-hmm. i remember my advisor uh who was also my computer science professor was saying that if the web is a fad so like if this is if this is what yeah. you want to do then you should probably change your majors like the, the future is computers but not this this is just a fad like nobody's going to be looking at, at computers <laughs> like this you know five years from now that's crazy yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny because I felt like when I got to college, I, I was so my first year was at University of Pittsburgh. And actually, I'll say my professors were actually really good. I remember um, a couple of them were actually working at Microsoft. And so I really enjoyed those classes. Yeah, I remember I didn't perform well in those classes. I remember I got like B minus and C plus. So that that actually made, I think that <laughs> encouraged me to change my major because I was on um, academic scholarship. And so I'm like, okay, I cannot get below <laughs> an A. Um, but I I thoroughly enjoyed them, even though I wasn't performing as expected. But at the same time, I'm like, I knew I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a full-on engineer. I did. It's like I wanted to be... Um, I wanted to be kind of where I am now. Like I, I walked the line between business strategy and IT. And you know, like today, I was earlier today, I was just reviewing system architecture diagrams and I'm able to comment and um, say, hey, you need to change this and change the structure and blah, blah, blah. But I also like being in meetings where we're talking about <laughs> the budget and the cost and, you know, working with legal and compliance, because um, I think when you're, you know, when you're in the code, that's all you're doing and you know nothing else and you don't even know the reasons, the how, the why you're doing the how, um, but you don't know the why. How did, you know, you know, you're here because somebody decided to fund this multi-million or billion dollar project. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I understand. Mm hmm. What was your time like at the Ohio State University? Oh, that was fun. Uh, Almost too much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At at, um, OSU, I have to say that made me, um, first year, I was like, let me uh, change my major. (laughs) (laughs) So I was having... It is really a party school, but at the same time, too, I loved that it was huge. I remember I remember so many friends that I had met that first year I was there ended up transferring because I got to do big and they went to a smaller school. But I loved that it was big. I loved the exposure to different people. I mean, Pitt, I had that, but it was just so different. I just remember that that first weekend they had this... um. Like they had all the colleges talking about majors and what you can major in, but then like they're like, oh, you can you know design your major. And given that it's Ohio State and they had 
I mean, their catalog of majors was the same as University of Texas. It was a lot. Um, at that time, it was 50,000 students. I don't know what it is now, but um, I'm sure it's still around then. But, you know, there was the aspect of, you know, being able to create a major and major in almost any and everything. And then also when they had their, I think it was called the activities fair, their lawn, <laughs> it, their, uh, what is it called? South lawn is huge. And they just had all of these groups, um, niche groups that you could get involved in. And I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I just soaked it up and took it all in. I remember I ended up joining crew, the rowing team and did that like the first six months on, it was an intramural rowing team, but we were in the same corridor as, uh, that the varsity rowing team would perform, like would uh, train in as well. And I, I actually got recruited <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. But I, I did rowing and I was the only black girl who was rowing on the rowing team. Um, and it was a sport that I enjoyed and enjoyed so much that I wish I had it in high school. Cause I think I would have pursued it and did other things as well. Like the African-American groups that I was in were amazing. I was a part of the Caribbean um, student association and that was just amazing. Cause I didn't have that at Pitt. There were, it was funny. There were actually Caribbean students, but they didn't have an association again at that time. But um, yeah, different organizations and parties and <laughs> things like that. <laughs> One thing, uh, so I mean, I went to Morehouse and it was, I mean, certainly not as big as OSU. And we had a, a pretty big Caribbean student population. Um, but I don't know if there were, if we ever had any distinct group. There were just a lot of people from West Indies, Trinidad, Tobago, Jamaica. I mean, you <laughs> name it. Like we have a... We have a big green lawn out front that they would all play soccer on every day. So, and mm-hmm. honestly, that was like one of the first times, I mean, cause I'm from a like super small town in Alabama, but um, that was one of the first times I was really exposed to more international people was going off to school like that and seeing that. So, yeah. 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 No, I, yeah. I mean, at Ohio state, I just like met people from countries that I had never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> I considered myself someone who was not well-traveled at that time, but, you know, but, you know, aware and in the know. And so like hearing some of these places and meeting these people and being in the conversations that I was in and, you know, being invited to restaurants that quite frankly, um, I like, I never had Filipino food at that time or even Vietnamese food and um, tasting the differences. And, um, you know, yeah. So I, that was, that was also interesting. Um, and different African country, countries, the cuisine and learning that, oh, different dialects. Uh, so, yeah, that's cool. So once you graduated and started out in your in your early career, like, what was that feeling like? I, w- I would imagine that OSU really prepared you for getting out there in the working world. But what were those early days like for you? Well, at that time, it was funny. Um that was when the dot-com boom was kind of ending. Um, and so I know we had the 2008 recession, but I remember I graduated in 2003. And it was, I remember a lot of, like a, you'd look to the left, look to the right, not many of my classmates actually had jobs. Um, but I, so I ended up going to graduate school um, and thank God it was a year long program because I hadn't anticipated. I, in my mind, I had this plan, graduate college, work for about four or five years and then go to graduate school. That was just always my plan from since high school. 
And so I went to graduate school for a year, which I'm glad I did, uh, cause I learned a lot in that experience. Um, but I remember I was, I remember six months before graduating, I was actively looking for work and jumping in my car and driving across Ohio and Pennsylvania back to New York on interviews and then coming back to campus. So I was very aggressive about trying to find a job, but I, I, I did graduate without a job. But what did happen when I came home was I remember um, a staffing agency reached out to me to work at Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I ended up going on that interview, um, accepted the position. And I remember it was something it was, they would renew my contract every 30 days. And I was working within the, I was thinking they called it the office of the CIO. And, and it was implementing um, a software. Uh, it was called, it was an online project management tool. And so it was, I think being at Ohio state and being at such a large campus and kind of being in an environment where you might not know someone and having to be comfortable immediately introducing yourself because before, you know, being before going to ISA, I, I consider myself kind of shy, but it made myself, made me put myself out there more. Um, it made me actually, I think I'm more aggressive as well instead of passive. And so I think um, post Ohio state, post Ohio university, you know, I, I really took the initiative and, you know, meeting different people and saying, hey, do you have a job? Do you know anyone who works at this company or that company? I remember I would go to LinkedIn and email CEOs and COOs and CIOs and go, hi, my name is Nicole and I'm going to be graduating or I just graduated. Um, I would love to connect to your HR group. I mean, that's what, that's what you have to do. You have to be aggressive like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Ohio State taught me, I have to say, because you are, you're competing against 50,000 students and you think completely differently um, than when you're at a small school. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, so I, I ended up going to Morehouse with a, a scholarship from NASA and so the way that they the way that they had it worked out was you would intern at two NASA facilities and then upon graduating you'd kind of be lined up to have a job with NASA. And so that was going into like even freshman year going into Morehouse I was like this is the goal. Like I'm set after I graduate. All I have to do is just keep above a 3.0 and I'm good. Um and then 9/11 happened. So that happened my like junior year, like going into my junior year. And at that point, my scholarship thing kind of changed. Like mm -hmm. it shifted from me being a shoe in for a job somewhere. And keep in mind, this is after I've done my two internships. So I'm thinking all I got to do is kick back these last two years and I got a, you know, six figure job waiting for me when I graduate. Now things are going into this new department called Homeland Security. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, now you don't have a job lined up when you graduate. So what are you going to do? And I mean, you have to, I had to, at least I had to hustle and try to get my name into, I don't know if Ohio State does this, but like different departments have these like interview books when yeah. companies come to interview, they want to know like who's signed up in the major or whatever. And I would like get to know the secretaries in the different departments. Like, 
come by and like bring them a cookie or like talk <laughs> yes. to them for 20 minutes or something. Cause the secretaries are the gatekeepers. You know, for people that are listening, that want to know secretaries are the yeah. gatekeepers to the department. Mm-hmm. And I'd get my name in these interview books. So I got to interview with like Microsoft and real player yeah. and all these other big places just to, just to like get my foot in the door. Now, granted, none of those materialize into anything. I mean, but, mm-hmm. but that's what, sort of what you have to do. You have to get creative and, and hustle to try to find those opportunities. Oh yeah. And be bold. I remember, it's funny that you say that because I remember, um, so you have the Ohio State and within Ohio State, you have different colleges. So you'll have like the College of Business and Administration or the College of um, Agriculture, whatever, so on, so on. But within those colleges, you then have schools. So what happens is a college might have a college fair. They don't widely advertise it outside of, you know, within the Ohio State portal, but they'll advertise it. You know, if you're that, if you're a part of that college, you'll get the email blast. <clears throat> and then even sometimes within that school, they would have their own um, college fairs. But it was purposefully making friends. Not I literally I knew. I had friends within my major and within my college, but it was, again, purposefully making friends outside of, you know, my my college and my major and be like, oh, when is your college fair? <laughs> and going to their college fair, because you wouldn't know otherwise going to the engineering college fair, even though I'm like, oh, I have... I have a I have a year of you know computer science uh, courses. I was never disinterested in technology. I still had an interest there, um, and so I would still go. And being bold, and um, I would say I would. I remember I wore a red suit. Oh wow! <laughs> um, to a college fair, and I thought, "You are crazy. You should do this." And everyone else was wearing black. Oh, see, you were trying to stand out. You're like, uh, it's funny. Like, I remember seeing like these old sitcoms where it's like the black and white ball and then the one person like saunters in wearing all red. That was you. (laughs) Yes, yes. It was a nice suit, too. I remember (laughs) I bought it for cheap at TJ Maxx or Marshalls and it fits so well that like, I'm buying this. And I wore it. And um, I mean, I remember this guy. What's it? It's called Excel. Um, it's that meat company. So they basically, they own like, they're out of Kansas somewhere. Um, and it was like for a great opportunity. And he was like, I want to talk to the person. I'm, there's like, he, I remember he said something like, oh, there's a sea of black suits. And here you are walking in with red. Um, and he ended up talking to me. Um, and I ended up being flown out uh, to Kansas for like a two-day inter- panel interview. So, yeah, you have mm-hmm. to be very bold. <laughs> Y'all off the strength of that red suit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not other uh, people. Other uh, interviews are like, oh, you are crazy. Where's your bike? <laughs> but it worked. <laughs> it worked for a couple of people anyway. <laughs> So speaking of college, I mean, you've also been an adjunct professor. Uh, You've been an adjunct professor at Bloomfield. What was that experience like for you kind of getting into that sort of environment where it's so different from, you know, working at a place like Accenture or something like that? Oh, it was very, very different. It's funny. So I was at a party um, with one of my mutual friends and um, I was talking to one of the guys at the party and I was like, oh, what do you do? He's like, oh, I teach. And he was telling me what he does. So he teaches um, an app development class um, and he also teaches like a, 
uh, like a program project management class for IT to IT students. And he's like, Oh, I'd love for you to come and speak to one of my students. I'm like, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Push it off <laughs> for probably a year and eventually did. And I, I, I enjoyed myself. And he reached out to me probably six months after that saying, Hey, I don't know if you'd be interested, but we're looking for someone like you. We'd love um, professionals to actually be teaching. And he was like, we can, you know, you don't have to teach, you know, twice a week or every day. You could just do, if you're, if you're open to it, um, a three hour class or it was actually three hours and 45 minutes a month. Oh, that's four hours. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, <laughs> like, can I talk for that long? Um, and so I was, I remember it was a uh, easy phone conversation with the chair of that department and ended up having like an on-site conversation because they're like, oh, just show us what you'd think you'd want to talk about and present it to them. And they were like, they were giddy and happy. Um, and so that's how I kind of structured my class to be more of um, a product management class. And it was within the um, a computer science school there. And but students who were, I remember I had an HR student take my class, which I did not understand why. Um, but for the bulk of my students were computer science or engineering uh, majors. Um, but it was a lot of fun. Um, the first year was, re- it, the whole thing was just like new and interesting to me because I did not realize, because before I think I was this person like, well, yes, teachers need to get paid more, but I don't know. that They're really really just kind of teaching from a, a, you know, a a course load um, and a template. So really, is it necessary they get paid? I didn't realize how much you have to do just to like design a course and then, you know, kind of put together activities and it's just a plan, your teaching plan and how much work it was. And on top of having a full-time job, it was just, I was just like, oh my God, this is crazy. I, I can't. Um, but I did it. Um, and I, kudos to teachers everywhere. I am not going to be that asshole that, you know, says, things like that anymore. But it was challenging. Um, And also just kind of, I think it's different being a consultant and people are there to listen to what you have to say in your recommendation, um, whether it's a technology or business or financial, whatever. Um, They're open to listening to you and having a dialogue with you. But when you're in front of a group of students who, quite frankly, just want to play with their phone (laughs) or... um, (laughs) <laughs> or a sneak and they ha- I hated that they had um computers in front of them so they would you know be on you know some website Facebook or whatever but like grabbing their attention um but it also made me go hey you know what um reach out to my network within my company to be like hey are you guys free to come and talk to my students because I knew that one or two students might be interested in what you're doing. Or I had like one of my friends, he, um, he actually started at EA games and now he was, um, at that time he was a a QA manager, uh, quality assurance manager within, um, Accenture. So if we launch any mobile app or website, um, he would write the test scripts and, you know, test it and, you know, thousands of test scripts. Um, and so because I had students who were gate, like who were game design majors, I knew that, 
them hearing what it's like to work at EA Games from the 80s, 90s, and to 2000s, like hearing his experience and how he made that career transition would help them. Because I think when you're in college, all you're thinking about is my major, what I want to do afterwards. They're not thinking about what is that change and that pivot that you can make in your career. And also, again, I remember I had um, a career component just I remember I showed them my just my resume and how it was different. I'm like, I majored in economics, then grad school was back to information technology, and then my first job out was like working in IT. But then I just kind of made that transition to web, and then again, bring again bringing in people to hear them go, oh whoa, like these people are still in technology, but they're not just developers. I I remember one of my classes I. I, I titled it Beyond Development because I think that it's there's so many students out there doing like or you know people changing careers doing boot camps and I was a web I was a developer so I know how like you said earlier it can get I don't say some people they find it exciting but some people I think you get bored after a while right especially when you're in like again like kind of Accenture world where you're once you develop, you know, um, code for, you know, uh, so I want to name the, the company, um, the target, um, and then you're back on another retail. It, it, I don't want the challenge might not be there that you would expect. Um, and so, you know, you can transition to be a full stack developer versus, you know, only knowing these um, <clears throat> two programming languages and then every project you're on over and over again, even if it's a different industry, quite frankly, it seems the same and there's no challenge there. Um, so making them be aware, hey, educate yourself on AI, educate yourself on um, APIs and who are the players that are out there in the market for different things. And um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, that was a long <laughs> answer. No, I definitely agree with you on the part about like, people don't realize how much adjuncts have to work and how much they have to put in because mm -hmm. sometimes it's like you're doing where you have to design a course. Other times, at least in my experience, I had to kind of revamp a course <laughs> where like I was teaching a, it was a like intro to, well, they call it intro to web development. It really was just HTML mm -hmm. and CSS, but they were like, it's an intro to web development course. And it was for students uh, trying to get a business information systems degree. And this was 2000, what year was this? 2010, 2011, something like that. And they were still teaching how to make web pages using tables. Oh, oh. And <laughs> yeah, and I had to go to the dean and it's like, we're yeah. setting up every student that takes this class for failure. If we if we teach them this because they're going to go out into the marketplace and then yep. they're never going to get a job because we have moved on past that. And he's like, oh, well, if, you know, if, if that's the case, then you should, you know, rewrite the whole course. It's like, oh, so that's like rewriting questions yeah. and discussion prompts and tests and all, all that sort of stuff. And then making sure it gets approved mm -hmm. and just, you know, even even honestly scoping out a new book, because even mm -hmm. the book that they were using was like super outdated. It's like, oh, what's the textbook that we're going to use? Yes, yes. At one point, my dean was joking. He was like, well, if you want to rewrite the textbook, too, I was like, y'all ain't paying me that much for that. This is <laughs> this is simply an adjunct position. Like, Let's not get crazy here. But Yeah, yeah. I remember I, the book. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, I was saying I've thought about going back and doing teaching. I haven't, I mean, I haven't done it since then. But now design, I know, has changed a whole lot. And 
I've thought about going back and doing it. Who knows? One of these days, maybe. Yeah, I said to um, like, because everyone was like, always oh, shocked. I like, really, and you're going to Jersey? How long is that from your home? Because I live in Brooklyn, and so there, I'm like, yeah. Some sometimes it's like an hour and a half because I'm taking the metro and like the subway. Um, but I I really enjoyed it because I was just like, I'm doing it for the culture. <laughs> That's what my response would always be, because I just thought it was important for students to see someone like me in front of that classroom teaching. Because, I mean, the like a 70 percent of my students were black or minorities. And so I did one of the things I just made it a point to do was like bring in, you know, women and men um, who are black or um uh, Latinx um, to make sure that, you know, they saw that, hey, they're in <laughs> they're in corporate America. They exist. Don't have to believe everything that you read. <laughs> Saying that, they, no, they're there. They're just not, you know, they're not getting the recognition that, you know, you see someone else um, getting. But don't trust me. They're there. <laughs> um, and they're doing a lot of work. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was important. And oh my God, searching for a book. I didn't realize. I thought it would take me like a day. It took like weeks. Yeah, because like the book has to, you have to make sure that the questions and the curriculum and the tests support the book. And mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a big process. People don't realize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my, tell me I did not. And then, um, I just remember, I actually basically, I kept the title of the course, but I really structured it to be more of a product management course. And, um, and I'd say, oh, it's, it's an IT product management course. Uh, cause the title of the class was system design and analysis. And I, you know, I bought a book that had that title, but much of, um, the breakout sessions that I would have would be talking about product management, um, would be talking about agile. This is how you structure, um, a scrum team. And these are the individuals that you'd have. If you're talking about, you know, you know, redesigning a website or a mobile app or launching a software. This is how these teams would be set up. This is how they'd work together. This is how you work with a creative internal agency or external agency. And this is the expectation that you would have from, you know, user story and requirements gathering standpoint. And even prototyping, showing them prototyping tools that are out there. Um, and again, like making them be, like I remember I'd say, you had some of these students who were computer science uh, majors and I'd be like, okay, so to tell, explain to me what you think an API is. And they're like, what? I'm like, okay, all right. So let's talk about Google and let's talk about Amazon web services and what they're doing. And even just like, this is, I remember I said to them, my first job was at, um, I always talk about Blue Cross Blue Shield, but when I was at HSBC, the first week, my manager said, oh, do a, um, a competitive analysis of these content management systems. And I was like, what's a content management system? I actually had an idea. Oh, no. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> but like opening, you know, browser and going, okay, the top vendors for a content management system and then putting together a, a scorecard of, you know, their pros and cons. Um, and so educating them on a content man, I said, you guys are consumers of 
I said, I've worked on the redesign of Target.com. <laughs> I worked on the redesign of, you know, that store over there that you shop at, H&M. I've, I've been on those projects, whether it was Accenture or at other places. Um, and you're just the end consumer of being able to add something to your cart. You know that feature right there? I can tell you how many weeks it took and how many people were involved and how many testers were involved and things like that. So making them be aware of that that process and the steps. It's not just developing code. It isn't. <laughs> yeah. When you look back at your career, what do you wish you would have known when you first started? Um. So I had, when I had, I wish I had, um, I wish I had, it's like, I, I do believe I had drive, but I don't think I had drive to the extent that I see some students that I know have, um, especially like, you know, interns that I've, I've worked with. Um, and I wish I had, so I had I had um I had had this interest. My master's paper was on um, uh, health uh, informatics, and I wrote that paper. And I had so much um, like I I was like, oh, I want to pursue this, but I never. I it's like I I did all this research interviewed all these people and then I it's like I set it down after I graduated I go I say to people I'm like I could have created Zoc Doc I could have created that was what my master's paper was on was mm-hmm. electronic medical records and storing that and I so I wish I had um just that that drive to actually execute something or be that truly look at being an entrepreneur. Um, so I think that's what I look back on is that I never had that entrepreneurial drive that I wish I had had because now being in a different space in my life, being a mom and, you know, being an, um, like I look at, I, I said to someone, I look at ambition completely, completely differently. I'm still ambitious, but now, um, I have someone who is dependent upon me. Um, it's, my ambition is completely different, but I do wish that, you know, I had pursued certain things, um, that I hadn't. I wish that when, when Amazon reached out to me, what, 10 years ago, I'm like, I don't want to move to Seattle because I was, I wanted to be <laughs> on the, the West Coast, you know, Midwest. I didn't want to be too far to fly from home or something like that. And so I wish I had, you know, either pursue something independently on my own or, um, you know, took those opportunities that came to me. So I'm curious, what does success look like for you now these days? Um. <laughs> It, it that's that's a really good question. Um, I, for me, success is success is a it's being happy in what I'm doing and having and at the same time having time. Um, I hate the term work life balance, but now I'm I, I see myself I hear myself uttering it more um, because in this role. You know, I left Accenture because I didn't want to travel as much. I'm not a road warrior anymore. However, you know, being a new mom, I, I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be away from my daughter. She's a baby. You know, she's six 
months old. Um, so success is being able to being there for her, but I'll, at the same time, I want to give her the experiences that I had um, and that I, you know, I, that I that that I had, and also that I, you know, I I've um, I've exposed and given to people as well. So for me, that's what success success is. Success is coaching people and making them be aware. I might not want to be, you know, that full stack developer, but I want them to be aware. But this is what it looks like, um, and this is what working in an insurance company looks like. What an agency looks like, and giving them that that I don't want. To, I think coaching is a more apt term than saying advice because I think you can hear something from someone, but, you know, like take it in um, and then do whatever you want with that information. So um, being a coach um, and, you know, exposing my daughter um, and even my friends too um, to different experiences. So, yeah. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Nicole, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? Um, uh, so I think LinkedIn at this stage is the best place. Um, I do have a website out there, but it has not been updated in years. I have a current website and a personal website, um, but it hasn't been updated. Um, it's Nicole Davis, uh, Nicole M Davis.com. See, I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> website address but it's to be updated but linkedin is really the best place for me of course nicole davis is like the most common name but nicole davis and then put Anne marsh and then you'll find me <laughs> yeah we'll find you we'll link to it all in the show notes and everything so um yeah well nicole davis i want to thank you so much for for coming on the show and for really, I think, sharing what it is that you do. I hope for the people that are listening that they can kind of get a sense of how strategy works in the type of work that you do and that they can see this as being a possibility for them. You know, before we talked uh, or before we got on the interview, I should say, you mentioned that, you know, there is no longer this ladder for people to climb into technology. Like there's a lot of different entry points. And I certainly think from you illustrating your story and the experiences that you've had throughout your career, that others will get a sense that, you know, becoming a part of the tech industry isn't this, uh, it's not a one-way door. There's many ways that you can become a part of this and thrive and be successful, which you are right now. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you, Maurice. It was great talking to you as well. And um, just, you know, having this conversation, um, it's always funny to hear yourself talk about, you know, where you've been and where you're going. Um, and also hearing your experience, it's, it doesn't sound much di different from mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Nicole Davis and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Nicole and her work through the links in the show notes at glitch.com forward slash Revision Path. Revision Path is a Glitch Media Network podcast and is produced by Maurice Cherry and edited by Brittany Brown. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. We're also powered by Simplecast, the easiest way for podcasters to publish and distribute audio on the internet. Make sure you check the show notes for a link to sign up for a 14-day free trial. And if you like this episode, then please let more people know about it by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes about a minute or so to do, and it really helps spread the word about Revision Path everywhere. 
You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your favorite shows. And make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Just search for Revision Path. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.